In the Perspectrum podcast, we discuss controversial topics. Outside of this context, Michael and I are both working professionals. While doing the show, we are not acting as agents or representatives of our respective institutions. And none of the views that we express reflect the outlooks of our employers. So don't come to my office and throw toilet paper at me. And I don't have an office, but don't come to my cube. Hello and welcome to the Perspectrum. I'm Michael Bloom. And I'm Nathan Seelove. We have a great episode lined up for you today. As opposed to all of our other terrible episodes. Yes. This might be <laughs> the the first really good episode <laughs> we've ever put out. Um, so first segment, we can't not talk about it. We have to talk about Trump's indictment. Um, uh, even though we just dove into the whole Trump's investigations and all that stuff, the news here is new it's new yeah it's news so we definitely have to talk about it yeah and for our second segment we are diving into the claim often cited by republicans that social security is on the brink of collapse and the only way to save it is to cut benefits for people um and so we want to we want to break that down see what the fuck's going on there yeah yeah i will say i am much more excited about that segment than I am to talk about Trump. Me too. Again. Not only like because the- <laughs> it's so annoying to talk about Trump, but also like the Social Security segment is a classic for Spectrum Deep Dive. That, like, it that is, is, it is a classic perspective. I am, I'm really looking forward to it. And I found some really fun stuff. And there is a potential first time mm. thing that happened while I was researching mm. that I'm looking forward to sharing with you all. But, uh, but yeah, like for the Trump segment, I like... Part of the reason why I wanted us to do a deep dive mm-hmm. on all of mm-hmm. Trump's legal troubles was so we didn't have to again. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. all of that shit was just hanging over our heads. And we even like we had been talking about doing that segment for a while. Mm-hmm. Like we had been yeah. putting it off because like there were some other things that we liked more that we wanted to talk about. So we're like, mm-hmm. OK, let's let's push that segment back. Let's push that segment back. Yep. And then finally we did it. And this shit happens. That's the thing. I mean, it runs downstream, right? All the shit, the shit rolls downhill. Ultimately, oh he's just gonna keep getting it's indicted a... and keep getting sued because, yeah. you know, it's not like it's not like they're it's not like these are getting resolved, right? He's he's seemingly yeah. guilty in all of these cases, so it's just gonna get you know rack up convictions and and and. It's uh, like it's like a big diarrhea mudslide you know that's that's That's, what it is so it's a great (laughs) metaphor (laughs) or simile (laughs) and and now i'm picturing it and it's not a pretty sight so let's go ahead and let's go ahead and get into this let's go ahead and dive in let to that to that shit slide and we'll be done with it and we won't have to talk about it again for a bit okay so last week the justice department served an indictment to Trump for 37 felony counts related to his uh, intentional mishandling of classified documents. Yeah. And they also confirmed that Trump straight up had nuclear secrets that were just out and about at Mar-a-Lago. Now, what we did know initially was that there were some classified documents that were at the same classification level as nuclear secrets, mm-hmm. but we didn't know that there were straight up nuclear secrets. Yeah. But in the actual in the actual indictment that was put out, 
Uh, it actually says, quote, the classified documents Trump stored in his boxes included some information regarding defense and weapons capabilities of both the United States and foreign countries, United States nuclear programs, potential vulnerabilities of the United States and its allies to military attack yeah. and plans for possible retaliation in response to a foreign attack. Yeah. What? This is huge. Like the revelations of the not only the level, but the severity and the vulnerabilities contained in some of these classified documents, um, I think is very important. One of the arguments that has been coming that that like Republicans specifically have been putting out since uh, we kind of first learned about Trump, you know, uh, having classified documents at Mar-a-Lago is like, well, there's just a general overclassification problem in Washington. They just classify everything and just to be on the safe side. And so a bunch of documents are probably not even that, you know, important to be classified. Which I actually do agree with. Totally. In fact, I, I think that there's there are some things mm -hmm. that are classified they're only classified to protect the ass of elites. Mm -hmm. And that's the type of shit that should not be classified. Yep. You know, the type of documents that get put out there by whistleblowers, such mm -hmm. as Chelsea Manning, those are the types of things that we do deserve to see. Those yep. are the types of things that should not be classified. Those are the types of things that they only classify to defend against embarrassment. Mm -hmm. This shit is the type of thing that they classify so that enemies can't harm our country or obtain nuclear secrets yes <laughs> even a civil yeah. libertarian like me mm -hmm. who is completely mistrustful of the government understands that shit like this should be classified yes yes seriously so yeah so the specific allegations are that trump stored some of our most closely held secrets to Nathan's point this includes nuclear programs this includes vulnerabilities potential attack plans uh secrets about foreign nations and then he stored them in mar-a-lago in you know a ballroom in a bathroom in a club or in a shower in his bedroom in an office in a storage room kind of all over the place including movement among all of these rooms um and the charges highlight that trump's specifically uh obstructed federal officials when they tried to reclaim these documents um and in total, uh, of the 37 counts, felony counts related to this uh, indictment, 31 are separate instances of, quote, willful retention of national defense information and constitute a conspiracy to obstruct justice when, um, when reclaiming these documents, including um, multiple counts related to withholding or concealing documents from a federal investigation, um, and, and a charge of making false statements and representations. On top of that, we have uh, corruptly concealing a document or record, concealing a document in a federal investigation, uh, a scheme to conceal, mm -hmm. uh, false statements and representation, yeah. um, and then another count of false statements and rep uh, representation. Yes. Like those, are, those are the rest of the counts. Yeah. Like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the indictment shows that Trump actually shared some of these classified materials and national defense information with people without any type of security clearance, much less the level of security clearance that they would be required to review these documents, um, including people from his, his political action committee. And yet, in his arraignment on Tuesday, 
Uh, he pleaded, of course, non, not guilty to all counts, and even flew off to New Jersey to do a rally and fundraiser for his 2024 presidential run, claiming all of this was a total witch hunt and, and nothing to see here, folks. Yeah. Now, <laughs> each of these charges uh, carries a maximum fine of 250000 and prison sentences... Uh, maximum, I should say, prison sentences ranging between five to 20 years. Mm-hmm. And that's for each individual one. Yeah. Yeah. And that's on, and that's, and these are the first federal charges filed against Trump, right? We're still, we yeah. still have the felony counts filed in the state of New York against him personally as well. Like he's yeah. facing like 70 something, like 70 counts almost of, of felony charges at this point. Yeah. One thing that's important to note though is that this is a federal investigation, mm-hmm. whereas the New York stuff, that's a state investigation, yep. which means that if he becomes president, he could theoretically pardon himself for this, but he couldn't necessarily do that for state charges. Yes, I think that's a really good thing to call out. Yeah, the pardon power by president by the president applies to federal charges and um, and is pretty much unlimited. So he yeah. could pardon himself for the federal crimes. Yeah. And and I would say this right here, this charge right here is one of the charges that I think is one of the more juicy charges. Mm-hmm. Like, I know that when, when we were doing our breakdown of the uh, the various different legal issues that Trump was going through, I, I, I mean, I came out and said, like, of all of the things that Trump potentially did, like all of the mm-hmm. crimes Trump potentially committed, the least of my worries is the campaign finance violation regarding Stormy Daniels. Yeah. And to the extent of which that should be charged is the extent of which, you know, we we need to maintain the fact that we live in a republic where nobody's above the law. And if mm-hmm. Michael Cohen was going to be charged for that and sent to jail, then Donald Trump sure as hell should have been charged for that mm-hmm. and sent to jail. But in the grand scheme of things, that's not a huge deal. Like, it really was not, it's really not a big deal. Yeah. This yep. is a big fucking deal. It is a big deal. And one of the arguments that a lot of Republicans are making is that this is not a really a big deal. That this is just like, you know, who a doesn't the mill. Who doesn't have nuclear secrets in their shower? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, this is a run-of-mill case where like um, you know, just like Pence and just like Biden, you know, Trump inadvertently had some classified records in his in his possession. Um, and ultimately like this is maybe a presidential records act case, if anything, and just really not, you know, in any way rising to like a severe, like a significant, uh, felony or federal crime. One of the, one of the people pushing this narrative is Lindsey Graham. And the way that they're framing this is by saying that, you know, he's being charged under the espionage act, but Trump's not a spy. Right. So, so Lindsey Graham said, quote, you may hate his guts, but he's not a spy. He did not commit espionage um calling out that the charges seem ridiculous and paint an impression that just isn't true and i think it's worth breaking that down because espionage because you know these charges are uh or a number of these counts are you know falling under the espionage act which sounds extreme because you know uh, because to lindsey graham's point trump isn't necessarily a spy right we actually don't know whether he like was it 
like what his motivations were for trying to keep these documents, whether yeah. he was trying to profit from them, whether he was trying to just inflate his ego, whether he was just trying to show off to people that were visiting him by being able to wave nuclear secrets in front of in front of their I faces. think I do think that at this point we can still rule out just simple incompetence though mm -hmm. because the FBI did come to him and say, "Hey, we know you have some documents, turn them over." Yeah. And if it were just simple and simple incompetence, like was with, like was the case with Mike Pence and and Joe Biden, he would have fully cooperated and handed mm -hmm. everything over. Yes. The fact that he didn't do that makes it clear that just incompetence is like is extremely unlikely. Yes. I, I, and I think that's that's a key point here, right? Like so so it's not just that being willfully awful is the crime and being inadvertently awful is not right yeah. it's like it's still a crime even if it was incompetence maybe <laughs> well if so, they came to him and said like yes. give us those documents and he didn't give them the documents yes. whether it's because the i don't know the sun was in his eyes or he like you know his <laughs> abacus was broken or, or some shit yeah. like he didn't give the documents when he was supposed to totally so regardless of what was going going on in his head which you know i'm not saying that doesn't matter but i'm saying that a crime can still have been committed yes. even if it was just Absolutely. pure incompetence. You're totally right. What his, I'm saying is his... that it is very unlikely to be incompetence. Exactly. And that's the thing. That's why the bundle of charges that's happening here is so strong together. So, yeah. like, to your point, like, you know, for Pence, for Biden, as, as soon as this all this stuff is coming out with Trump, they both proactively, like, you know, had aides look for national security, you know, secrets or or classified documents in their possession. They did find some and proactively turned those over uh, to the government. And and I'll I'll talk through the statute in a second on under the Espionage Act. But but that is the correct course of action. And importantly, it's not a crime to necessarily just inadvertently have some of these documents. However, to Nathan's point, like if you're not turning them over, and in Trump's case, like actually provide like falsifying records, like signing an affidavit saying you've turned over the documents when you haven't, like that is a crime in and of itself. And on top of that, the ind indictment indicates clearly that Trump had direct personal involvement in, in, in not only um, taking these documents, but also concealing them, preventing the government from recovering them. And, and that's what takes this from the level of, um, you know, a, a violation of like, records act or something like that to the level of the espionage act so let me just go through quickly some of the some of the components of the espionage act that are like very clearly satisfied here and obviously of course like this is subject to trump being uh convicted of this crime but you know to the extent that the indictment is true it seems pretty clear that he has violated the espionage act um the specific language in 18 U.S.C. Uh, 793, Section E, goes something like this. Quote, Whoever, having unauthorized possession of, access to, or control over any document, uh, and I'm, I'm removing a, bunch, a list of what describes a document, or note relating to the national defense or information related to the national defense, which is... Uh, information the possessor has reason to believe could be used to the injury of the United States or to the advantage of any foreign nation 
who willfully communicates, delivers, transmits, or causes to be communicated, delivered, or transmitted, or attempts to communicate, deliver, transmit, or cause to be communicated, delivered, or transmit to any person not entitled to receive it, or who willfully retains the same and fails to deliver it to the officer or employee of the United States entitled to receive it, is like guilty under this act, right? So, so, so Trump, ha- knowing that he has classified documents and willfully retaining them, that is a direct violation and a clear violation of the Espionage Act. Com- talking about those documents to someone without a security clearance is a direct violation of, of the Espionage Act. Like, it's beyond, you know, a Presidential Records Act violation. This is a severe breach of national security uh, for, for someone like Trump to have and then discuss and improperly store these kinds of documents. Yeah. And I would also like to point out something else that I think is a really important point to make when it comes to the significance of the fact that this indictment is happening to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael, when federal prosecutors indict somebody, do you know what the conviction rate is? I want to see if you can guess. Um, I don't know. Let's say they, 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 they flip a coin, right? They win some, they lose some. Let's say it's 50%. 99.6%. Fuck, that's crazy. 99.6 yeah. wow. motherfucking percent. Because they don't fucking bring a case that's not yeah. fucking airtight. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So to put that in perspective, uh, in 2018, there were uh, 79,704 cases, and of those, only 320 resulted in acquittals. Jesus fucking Christ. That's they don't fuck around with these. Yeah, right? seriously. If they, if they announce charges, again, I mean, we do still need to operate under the assumption of, you know, innocent until proven guilty, but... If they bring up these charges, they got some really good evidence. They yeah. have a damn good yeah. reason for doing it. Especially in a case this high profile against yeah, someone exactly. this high profile. Like the this bar high must profile be even and this this high scrutinized, yes. like this level of scrut- yes. of scrutiny. Mm-hmm. Like because they know that there is going to be a well-oiled propaganda machine that no matter how airtight their evidence is, mm-hmm. is going to scrutinize every tiny little detail of it. Yeah. I mean, hell, if there is a a, a prosecutor uh, or an investigator that drives a Prius, they're going to accuse them of being Antifa. <laughs> like, <laughs> they know that perfectly well. They would not bring these unless they had some pretty solid legal reasoning and pretty yes. solid evidence. Yeah. I think that's such a fucking good point. That stat blows my mind. Over ninety nine percent conviction rate for 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 charges yeah. brought. Uh, yeah, wow, that, now, that blows. Now it mind. is important to note that um, most of those end in plea deals, which mm-hmm. do still technically count as a win. Sure. Um, so and we talked about how those can be problematic. Not in yep. this case. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, but when when they do go to trial, the acquittal rate for uh, for Bench trials, for some reason, bench trials and jury trials are, like, the acquittal rate is different. I have no idea why. I don't really know um, what the difference is between those. Not really, me either. But, you know, to, to give you all the facts, uh, the acquittal rate for bench trials is 38%, which is, you know, higher. But, Pretty like, high. yeah. 
that's you're still that still means you're more likely to lose than win if you're mm-hmm. a defendant who goes to trial. Um, for jury trials, it's only fourteen percent. Wow, jeez. So again, that should still that should still emphasize to you the fact that this would not have been brought up if they didn't have some sound legal reasoning behind totally. it. It's not frivolous. And to your point, that means nothing for the that that's not evidence for the truth of these claims. But it's evidence yeah. in the column of it's likely not frivolous. They're not bringing this. Yeah, for basically, no it's it is ethos for the prosecutors. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Totally to to sound to to sound like an ap- academic yeah. who is pretentious. Um, <laughs> and to to your point though about like the the like media coverage of this, uh, especially on in the right wing media, like you know, uh, scrutinizing every aspect of this and like. And 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 try, attempt and Trump attempting to like win in the court of public opinion. I did want to mention like a couple of the arguments that Republicans in the media and then elected Republicans and Trump surrogates are like making uh, about this about this indictment specifically. So one thing the president has said and a number of other people have said publicly on like news programs and stuff like that is that the president or Donald Trump when he was president uh, with the power to declassify because the president does have a pretty broad power to declassify pretty much any material that he wants, was able to declassify these documents ahead of uh, moving them to Mar-a-Lago. And as a result, like there's actually no violation here. Um, so so a couple things. First of all, the classification level is actually not a part of the Espionage Act. If you'll note that like the the language in the act itself is is relating to national defense or uh, information that could cause injury to the United States or the advantage of a foreign nation. It's, it mentions nothing about the level of classification. So even if he were to declassify a nuclear secret, that would that would still fall under the Espionage Act. But but the second point is that we have actually really strong evidence that he actually didn't do this mind declassification thing because there's actually, according to the indictment anyway, there's a recording of Trump talking about this classified material and admitting that since he's no longer president, he's not allowed to have it, and saying that he lacked the ability to declassify it. Like, open and shut. He's the dumbest (laughs) motherfucker. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I also also want to address some other uh, common arguments that we keep seeing by, uh, by Republicans. The one that I think has been their favorite one is... Um, this is a banana republic because Biden <laughs> is a dictator mm-hmm. who has single-handedly ordered this investigation of Trump and is trying to lock up his political opponent. Wow. What a char- What a serious charge that we should consider carefully and is and might actually be true. Wow. So here's why that's bullshit. <laughs> First off, now there's first off, there's no evidence that Biden directed the Justice Department to do this. Merrick Garland appointed a special counsel, and there's no evidence to suggest that he was directly coordinating with Biden mm-hmm. on that. In now, fact, that's why that, you appoint a, a special counsel yeah, is to specifically you, take it out of the control of the Department of Justice and out of the direct control of the executive branch. Exactly. Exactly. That's the whole point. Um, also, I just like to address the whole Banana Republic thing. You know what happens in banana republics? Elites commit crimes 
and they don't get charged for it. Mm -hmm. That's what happens in a banana republic. Mm -hmm. If he were held to a different set of standards simply because he has political popularity among a fringe group of idiots, mm -hmm. that, if he wasn't charged with committing crimes because of that, that would be evidence of a banana republic. Mm -hmm. That would be a banana republic. All right? A republic republic is a system in which nobody is above the law. And if you can commit a crime, but because of your status in society, you are not charged with that crime, you are above the law, mm -hmm. which means we are not in an actual republic. And on top of that, the comparison to Biden and Pence, like we've already addressed the fact, like mm -hmm. the fact that they, that they had classified documents. We already addressed the fact that there are key differences, but let's assume that there aren't key differences. Let's assume that there aren't key differences. If the argument is... There are other criminals that exist. The solution is not, therefore, we shouldn't charge any criminals. <laughs> you are a dumbass. Yeah, I think that is my favorite fucking part of the political witch hunt argument, which yeah. Trump has pushed. Literally, J.D. Vance in the House is attempting to stop... Um, the the uh, fulfillment of positions at the DOJ, like the the uh, placement of like political appointees at the DOJ, in like as a protest to the weaponization of the DOJ by the Biden administration, and yet the the critical flaw is that like we should be prosecuting everybody who is guilty of a crime before the United States. Yeah, and I, there's so much projection. Because they know full well that if, if the roles were reversed, they'd be cheering it on. Like yes. Trump Trump could be directly, publicly telling his Justice Department, go investigate my political opponent. I mean, he, he fucking did. He told Ukraine to do that. He, he told, he told Ukraine, to do Ukraine to fucking he, do that. He fucking directed his Justice Department to do that. That's why Rod Rosenstein fucking resigned is because he, yeah. he was directing like... Like all of the, like so many people in his administration to like go and investigate like Hillary Clinton, his political opponents is like he yeah. did that directly. Yeah. The thing is, the thing is, I am not married to any politician, even ones that I voted for. Yeah. If you can show me evidence that they are corrupt, then show that evidence and yeah. lock their ass up. Mm -hmm. That is completely fine with me. Yeah. All in right? fact, I advocate on this show for yeah. adding more reasons to prevent like to like calling more types of corruption that are not illegal illegal types of corruption yeah in my perfect world like if you accepted money from a like super PACs would be illegal mm -hmm. and if you accepted money from a super PAC, like if 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 you accepted bribery in mm -hmm. any form even through something like a super PAC, like you'd be you'd have your ass thrown in prison mm -hmm. that's my ideal world most democratic politicians do that Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that because I want only Republicans to be locked up or I want political opponents to be locked up. I'm saying that because I want the people that represent me, Democrat or Republican, to not be fucking criminals. Yeah. That's <laughs> Liberal what I cuck. want. So, so, the whole, so, the, so the whole thing of, you know, the, the argument of, oh, really? You want to investigate Trump? Well, did you know... Other politicians are also criminals. <laughs> I am so smart. Yeah, I fucking know that. I want them investigated too. Like, 
Yeah. That is not an argument. Yeah. That is not an argument. Yeah. Like I I I it blows my mind how sycophantic these people are mm-hmm. to a person. Yeah. Like I, I, I just I can't imagine being that sycophantic towards a person, even a person you agree with, mm-hmm. even a person who fights for policies you like. There are other people that exist that fight to, you know, <laughs> to fuck over gay people. Yeah. All right. There are other politicians that exist to fuck over poor people. Mm-hmm. There are other politicians that exist to fuck over immigrants. <laughs> it's a weird tact you're taking on. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, dude. Yeah, I totally agree with you. It's like, why this guy? Why this yeah. guy? But speaking of Trump sycophants, we should probably spend a second talking about the judge in this case. Oh, yeah. God. <laughs> so this is a pretty disappointing development, although I, I would be surprised if like Jack Smith had not accounted for this in some way. So I'm curious how this will unfold. But basically, the judge in this case is Judge Eileen Cannon. Um, you may have heard about her. We may have talked about her on this show because she had actually ruled earlier in a, on a search warrant for Mar-a-Lago in this case where she like just made up exceptions for former presidents out of whole cloth, like just absolutely no legal basis, just made them up and to protect Trump and then was actually rebuked by uh, the the judges that then you know reviewed and then overturned that decision, um, and judges in cases like this have a lot of influence over jury selection and instructions. Uh, they have a lot of power over the trial dates and determining how long trials will take. Um, and so you know, in terms of the political implications of this, as it relates to the timing of the election in twenty twenty four, as it relates to whether we'll get, you know, a fair impartial trial is like a little bit up in the air um given uh judge cannon's history as a trump appointee who is already demonstrated a bias towards uh you know providing fake legal solutions in favor of trump um but we'll see i mean ultimately like decisions are appealable and yeah we'll see we'll see how this develops uh and and jack smith is super skilled that's the thing like it, there's a reason this case is being heard in Florida in front of that, uh, in that federal judge. Um, and even though it was like chance that this judge come up, it was like a one in three chance that this judge would be selected. Um, so, you know, I doubt that this was an unforeseen, uh, complication. Um, so we'll see how it develops. So now it's time for a more positive segment, tips for good. So Nathan, why do we do tips for good? Well, Michael, we do tips for good because if something's strange Mm -hmm. in your neighborhood, Mm -hmm. who are you going to call? Jack Smith. No, uh, it's actually (laughs) actually, uh, uh, Ghostbusters. Oh, shit. Oh, that makes sense. Because, you know, if you got ghosts... You got to yeah. get a ghost exterminator. It's a whole you gotta thing. Get, yeah. yeah. It's got to be Bill Murray. Streams. It's got to be Bill Murray. He's very busy these days and old. Yeah. But he yeah. makes the world a better place. With he his does. Extermination and he his does. comedy. So he does. He absolutely does. Which coincidentally is, is the whole point of tips for good. Oh, makes sense. Makes sense. Makes sense. I love it. That sounds great. We should, <laughs> we should do that, that segment often every week. We should, we should, we yeah. should. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like if, if, Anytime someone's new to the podcast mm-hmm. yeah, and they hear us do our lead into the tips for good segment, they're probably just thinking, just like, 
what the fuck kind of pot is this? <laughs> what are these idiots on about? Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. It's like, I mean, you signed on to listen to Two Idiots with a Pod, so, that's, you know. That's true. We, that should be the subtitle of the Perspectrum, Two Idiots with yeah. a Podcast. Yeah. But that's like every podcast. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Yeah. Well, sometimes sometimes it's more than two idiots. That's true. Sometimes, sometimes it's only gaggle. one idiot. What is a group of idiots called? Like a group of crows is a murder and a group of um, lions is a pride. Um, A caucus. A caucus. There we go. There, there we, we go. go. A caucus. A caucus. A caucus of idiots. Uh, so, Michael, uh, what is our tip for good this week? Our tip for good, we're going to sound a little bit boring, maybe a little bit paternal, but it is, please, for the love of God, proactively take care of your teeth. <laughs> I, Thanks, I know, Mom. I, the reason we're bringing this up, I just went to the dentist for the first time in an embarrassingly long time because I really do care about my teeth. But it's like, and the proactivity is the key part, right? I know that I have been, like, I grind my teeth when I sleep. I could have gone to the the drugstore literally a decade ago to get a $10 mouth guard to, to limit some of the impacts that it's having on my health at this point. But I didn't. I could have gone to the dentist anytime over the last few years <laughs> to like help limit some of the impacts that might have. And your teeth are with you if you're lucky for life. They have an, an incredible relationship to the health of your body. Gingivitis, for example, can contribute to heart disease. Um, so like the health of your teeth really matters. And yeah. importantly, addressing problems with your teeth that are the result of, you know, not brushing or not flossing or, or grinding can be very, very expensive to fix, even with insurance. And so it's so cheap to like get good toothpaste, get a good like toothbrush and replace it at regular intervals, like brush all the parts of your mouth, floss. If you grind your teeth, get a night guard. Don't chew on ice. Don't chew on hard candy. Protect those little miracles of enameled covered bone in your mouth. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, in, in the wise words of Chris Tucker from Rush Hour, mm -hmm. clean this shit up and brush your teeth. <laughs> God, I'm so happy it wasn't like something racist. <laughs> and that's tips and that's for good. And that's tips for good. So during the debt ceiling crisis, when Republicans were attempting to confuse the public into believing that it was actually a budget crisis mm. and that in order to address it, we had to do budget negotiations ahead of the impending collapse of the world's economy, um, they were pushing this argument about Social Security. They were, Which, by the way, real quick, sorry, side note, yeah. uh, CBO came out and found that the budget negotiation, because of the decrease in funding for the IRS, actually netted more deficit. Fuck that. God so, fucking damn it. <laughs> so yeah, party of fiscal responsibility. Great job, Biden. Great job. Great, great job, job, Biden. And you, and you, you bowed to the party of fiscal responsibility. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Jesus. totally. So anyways, continue. So aside from the fact that Republicans continue to screw over our deficit and our budget via their uh, their positively fanatical and zealous pursuit of tax cuts and spending reductions. The acclaim that we often hear from them, and we've been hearing it from Marjorie Taylor Greene and Kevin McCarthy and a bunch of folks on the right, is that 
Social Security is bankrupt, that we are running out of money, and that therefore the only way to save this thing that was is going to run out is going to be, uh, and, and not only the only thing to save it, but the prudent thing to do, the fiscally responsible thing to do is to cut benefits. Um, yeah. And so it's pretty intuitive at least based on how often this is this claim is repeated to believe that it might be true. I mean, after yeah. all, like if I think about my in-laws or my folks or anybody like that's older who's like getting close to social security age, they're constantly complaining about that their benefits might run out or be reduced and that it's a foregone conclusion that none of us young people are, will see a dime from social security. So we wanted yeah. to break this the fuck down and see yeah. if this is actually true at all. Yeah. And on top of all of that, um, one argument that I've seen is that as medical technology increases, life expectancy increases mm -hmm. and quality of life increases, which means that, f first off, we want to save Social Security because it's a phenomenally po popular program. And it's been running a deficit mm -hmm. since 2021. Mm -hmm. And taking all of that into account, clearly, clearly, the best choice we can make is to raise the retirement age mm -hmm. because it would save this phenomenally popular program. And it wouldn't even be that much of a big deal because, you know, because of life expectancy and quality of quality of life improvements mm -hmm. based on better technology. Yeah. Say so, it with me now. So here's, so here's why, why that's why bullshit. That's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's so we pause for a second and just break down real fast where Social Security's funding comes from. Because yes. ultimately, like, that's key to all of these discussions. So Social Security, which is, if you're not aware, a benefit that's paid out to uh, eligible collectors uh, when, you know, they, when they start collecting, which is, generally speaking, their retirement age. Um, and Social Security is funded by uh, payroll taxes, right? So, uh, you know, you work and a certain percentage comes out of your paycheck every month and comes from your employer every month and goes into the social security program. And yeah. the way that those, that the paying in and the benefit payout works is that generally speaking, current workers pay into the program and then current beneficiaries withdraw from the program. And so in a perfectly balanced world, it's it's more like a redistribution than it is like a fund that gets filled up and then emptied out. Yeah. So this is dependent on having a pretty stable relationship between people paying into the fund and people withdrawing from the fund. And sometimes yeah. there's a surplus, right, where there are more people paying in than people taking out, which happened for, you know, the last 30 years or so up until about 2021, in which case those funds get set aside into the Social Security Trust Fund which can then be used for future years in order to pay out uh, when there is a smaller base of people paying into the program. Yeah. I will say, researching this topic, it made something happen that I am really not used to, hmm. which is that I... So I am so used to doing policy deep dives on issues political in the United States. Mm -hmm. And, you know, issues that I thought going into it, well, this is probably really bad. And then after researching, com coming out of it thinking, this is apocalyptic. <laughs> this is probably the first time ever yeah. that I went into something thinking, oh my God, we're all going to die. Mm -hmm. Like Totally fucked up. 
we're totally like totally fucked social i'm I'm never going to be able to benefit from social security uh you know everybody's going to everybody's going to completely lose all of their social security benefits and we're all dead Mm -hmm. um and i came out of it thinking oh huh okay yeah, exactly. This is a very reasonable thing that we could totally fucking fix and it wouldn't well, even be that problematic. But if even we didn't. but even on top of that, like there's a simple fix, mm-hmm. but even if we don't do the simple fix, yep. the results will be bad, but they won't be apocalyptic. Totally. Totally. Because because for one thing, you know, as Michael already alluded to, as it stands, from back when there was a surplus with social security, mm-hmm. They're accumulated a trust fund, which basically makes it so that despite the fact that we have had a deficit since 2021, Mm -hmm. they've still been able to pay out 100% of the promised benefits uh, even since then. And in Mm -hmm. fact, at this point, it is estimated that uh, they will continue to be able to use that trust fund by at the very like at the very earliest 2033. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even after that, they'll still be able to pay out three quarters of the promised funds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with the current funding. Yeah, exactly. I think it's. I think that's a really solid point. Like the thing is, yes, Social Security is designed, given the amount that it's set to pay out, to kind of require this fund, you know, this surplus, right? Um, at least, at least that's been kind of the requirement for the last the last few years. But to Nathan's point, worst case scenario is Social Security is fine for the indefinite future, paying out three quarters of what it would pay out otherwise. So this apocalyptic scenario that Republicans have been describing, where like the world is going to end and Social Security as a program will be bankrupt and over if we don't cut benefits or raise the retirement age right away is just patently not the case. Yeah. I mean, a loss in 25% of benefits still sucks. Yes. I think and we should still do all we can to prevent it. Yes, I agree. I think that's a really important thing to capture as well, because I had a similar reaction. I was like, Oh, 74%. Sweet. That's not bad. And then I was like, wait, maybe I'm just having that response because the Republicans have been telling this apocalyptic story. And yeah. I'm under the impression that any day now, Social Security could collapse. Yeah. But really, to your point, like a 25% reduction in payout is a really meaningful impact to a lot of people's lives, right? Yeah. Like your retirement plans could be delayed or or ruined as a result of a 25% reduction in your income every year um, because of if you're like, you know, pretty much exclusively relying on social security yeah so there are a few fixes that have been proposed we already Mm -hmm. talked about the republican fixes the republican fixes are potentially cut benefits although they have at this point promised that they're not going to do that Mm -hmm. um raise the retirement age which has been proposed quite a bit although it seems like when trump basically went out and said hey y'all you're not going to do that Mm mm-hmm for once, he used his weird hypnotic power over the Republican Party for good. Mm-hmm. And it looks like that's not going to be what they're going to try to push for right now. Mm-hmm. Right now, it is entirely possible and very plausible that we will see some new pushes 
by prominent Republicans uh, in the near future, once again, to try to raise the retirement age. Mm -hmm. Um, But of course, there are there are other potential solutions out there. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of them I like more than others. Yep. But let's 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 go through some possibilities. First off, we have uh, expanding type of compensation that is subject to Social Security payroll taxes. Mm-hmm. So, so as it stands, fringe benefits that you might get from your job, such as health insurance, don't count as taxable income mm-hmm. with regard to the Social Security tax. Yeah. Which means that you're paying out, like, you don't have to pay Social Security tax on income that is basically in the form of those benefits packages. Yeah. And a lot of those benefits packages have been used by companies in, you know, m- more and more often as a way to attract talent. So rather than just competing in like salaries with with other companies, they'll attract talent using these benefits. And so as the value of those benefits has gone up and and the the salary, the actual like dollar compensation and salary hasn't gone up as much, we're seeing a shift in compensation towards benefits, which don't end up paying into Social Security. Yeah. And uh, the Center for Budget and Policy Priorities estimates that if we were to do that, um, just for health insurance, uh, that would actually end up closing over one third of the Social Security solvency gap. Wow. That's amazing. Now, to be fair, it likely would increase your taxable burden. Right, it would be, yeah. it would feel probably similar to increasing the payroll tax used for Social Security, which is my issue with it. Yes, and exactly. which is why I don't like this solution. Yes. Also, another reason why I don't like this solution is because in my ideal world, there is no employee based health insurance. <laughs> yeah, no we have a Medicare for all system. Mm-hmm. So, like, I still, I like, I'm still hoping that that is a part of a future like policy initiative. Yeah, and if it were, then you know, that kind of takes this away. So I, I mean, I don't think that's the best solution. Mm-hmm. And it effectively is a tax increase on you, on like working class people. Yeah. So I don't like that as much, but it would still do something to, you know, it it, it would still have an effect. Mm-hmm. Um, another potential solution is to just increase uh, payroll tax rates. Mm-hmm. In fact, um, the... Uh, the the same the same source center on budget and policy priorities estimates that just an increase of 0.3% which would would be roughly the equivalent of about $8 per week for the average earner mm-hmm. would close about a fifth of the gap oh wow okay that's not too bad yeah you know that's not too bad could be a and component I'm, of a solution right could absolutely be a component of the solution yeah one potential solution i want to talk about because I haven't actually seen it on any of any like lists, but I've heard it described as a problem with current social security funding, and I want to get your thoughts on it. Okay. So one of the challenges of social security is that there are lots of, at least right now, is lots of older people are retiring, and relative to the number of people that are you know, working age, you know, we're we're having a problem where our payments in are being pulled out at a higher rate because there are just so many retirees and not enough people working. Yeah. But I think that that relationship, which people call out a lot, looks overlooks one key thing. So those retirees, periodically, Social Security benefits uh, payouts get increased to account for cost of living, right? And Social Security 
uh, inputs, like the amount people pay in, is not just dependent on how many people are working, right? Yeah. It's dependent on how much they're making because it's a percent of how much they're making, yeah. which means that one really concrete way to drive oh, social security solutions is fucking raise wages so they keep fucking pace with the cost of living changes. Because as it is with wages, <laughs> they remaining stagnant as cost of living goes up. It means that we need more young people working per person retiring to cover the cost. No, I don't think we should raise wages. <laughs> it, like it blows my mind that this is fucking nowhere. But like raising the minimum wage, I, I could never thought about that. Fucking help that is, fund social security. I that is interesting. Well, and and the funny thing is that's that's actually super intuitive because when you really think about it, like why like why is it that social security started be you know started like became a deficit in the first place? Mm -hmm. like, exactly. I mean, almost certainly it's, it, you know, when you put it like that, almost certainly it must have something to do with the fact that we haven't been keeping up with cost of living. Mm -hmm. Like the wages, the minimum wage has not kept up with the cost of living. Yeah. So I don't know if that would necessarily solve all the problems. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I'd have to see the specific numbers on mm -hmm. it. But um, I mean, if, if you're asking me if I think that we could raise <laughs> wages and help Social Security, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I love that. The other thing is, the other thing is, to your point, like young people, even like if you expect that when you retire and your your working age, when you retire in like two or three decades, you're going to get 75 percent of the benefits. So say we don't solve this problem with Social Security, but we know that you and I will be able to get 75 percent of the benefit. What we need to compensate for that is savings. Yeah. which means we need wage increases. Yeah. So like ultimately yeah. wage can drive a significant part of the solution for social security. Um and so like the fact that we're not like raising minimum wages is is just another like The fact piece that the federal evidence. minimum wage is still 725 is fucking embarrassing. It's fucking crazy. It's fucking crazy. Um so I think this is just yet another arrow in the quiver of raising wages for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Another solution is to eliminate the cap on Social Security's taxable wages. Wicked, wicked, what? There's a cap? <laughs> yes. There what the is fuck? a cap. Let me lay this out for you. So as it stands, the payroll tax rate is 6.2% for workers and 12.4% uh, for people who are self-employed. So, you know, employers yeah and that's because that's because your employer pays half essentially of the amount that's supposed to come out towards social security so if you employ yeah. yourself you have to pay the full amount yeah here's the thing though there's a cap on income that is taxable by payroll tax in 2023 uh, that tax cap currently stands at one hundred and sixty thousand two hundred, mm -hmm. which means that if you make one hundred and sixty thousand two hundred dollars, in terms of the just the dollar amount, not percentage, but the dollar amount, you pay the exact same in payroll tax as someone who makes a million dollars. Yeah which means that they would pay a significantly a significantly 
lower percentage of their overall income than you do, Mm -hmm. which makes it a regressive tax rate. And by the way, if we were to eliminate the cap, it would only affect the top 6% of Americans. Yes. Most people would not see any change in their uh, their actual benefits. Mm -hmm. Now, it is important to note there would, like, usually what you get in Social Security— in a lot of ways, like like at the at in, in retirement, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways is proportional to how much you put into it. Mm-hmm. So it is true that eliminating the cap would give more benefits to higher earners, mm-hmm. but the net increase to the amount of revenue that would go towards Social Security is estimated by the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities to eliminate nine-tenths of Social Security's solvency gap. Hmm. nine-tenths. And to take it a step farther, there has been another solution that has been proposed by two of our favorite senators, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, in which they would do that, they would they would eliminate the tax cap, and furthermore, they would make it so that investment and business income also count as uh, taxable wages under Social Security— which, by the way, it's crazy that they're not already. Why? I don't get it. Why is investment and business income so tax advantaged? It's still income. I don't understand. Yeah. And this this policy, if it were passed, it would stabilize the trust fund for the next 75 years. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's not that extreme. Yeah. Because you are making a tax that is currently a regressive tax, not even a progressive tax. Like, you're not even making it a progressive tax rate. Mm-hmm. You are just making it a flat tax rate, yeah. which a lot, of, a lot of conservatives that I talk to that, like, are conservative voters, mm-hmm. when I talk to them about taxes, they're like, yeah, you know, in my ideal world, there's just a flat tax rate on everything. Like, everything is just a flat tax percentage. And I disagree with them on that because I think there should be a progressive tax rate. But, like... In this specific case, a flat tax rate just on all of your income would be better than the current system. Yeah. It would be more progressive than the current system. Yeah. Even though it would just be a flat tax rate. It's literally... And if you did that and you just made investment and business income, taxable income for social security, you would you would fund the trust fund for 75 years. Yeah. Yep. It is such it is such a no-brainer solution. It's literally it's, just like let's let's treat the top six percent of earners like the bottom ninety-four percent of earners, and then we'll solve the problem for a hundred percent of like of people of social security yeah. recipients. Yeah. Now, the biggest argument that I can hear in my head of peop- that people are going to make against that is well. These are rich people that probably are not going to benefit as much from Social Security because, you know, they're probably going to have a large retirement fund because they're rich people. Mm. So why should they be paying into a system that they're not going to directly benefit from? Which, on the surface, that sounds like a reasonable argument. So here's why that's bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) So by that logic, by, by the logic of... You should only be taxed on something that you always just directly benefit from. By that logic, 
You should get a tax break if you don't have kids because you can't send them to public school. Mm-hmm. You should get a tax break if you never use the roads. You should get a tax break, you know, if if you've never used the fire department. Mm-hmm. You should get a tax break if you never have the police, if you've never had to call the police. Yep. You should get a tax break if you fucking like if you've never been to a public library. Mm-hmm. You should get a tax break if you've never Walked on a sidewalk. Yeah. Honestly, you should get a fucking tax break if you've never been in an area actively defended by the military. You should get a tax yeah. break if you've got an air purifier in your home because then the EPA doesn't benefit you as much. It's just not how fucking like social society goods and taxes works. and society functions. Yeah. That's just not how it functions. And and even even more concretely, that argument is so two-faced. Because yeah. what they're saying is, as a percentage of their income, the, the Social Security benefit won't be as large for them. And so th- what they're saying is then, they shouldn't have to pay into it. But the exact same argument works in reverse for having to pay it. As a percentage of their, like, as a, as a proportion of, like, their, their income relative to, like, a fixed amount, like, having to pay in is small potatoes, Right. We're talking about like the cost of living has a lot of fixed costs in it. Right. There's a reason why it gets easier to live the richer you get. It doesn't all not all costs scale. And so the fact that like you have to pay continue to pay in six percent and you get some portion of that back later. But it's like not as meaningful to you. Well, it wasn't as meaningful to you when you had to pay it in in the first place. Yeah. And on top of that, on top of that, you're operating under the assumption that when people retire and get money that that money doesn't benefit you which it absolutely does think about it the ceo of walmart mm-hmm. relies on customers customers rely on having money mm-hmm. if you want people to have money even beyond their retirement age to come and spend at your walmart you want them you want their social security to be paid for. Mm-hmm. Rich people are still going to directly benefit from middle class people having money to spend at their businesses. Mm-hmm. So it absolutely benefits them. And that is the that is the biggest reason why we have a progressive tax rate to begin with mm-hmm. when it comes to income tax. Because you benefit more from that. If you are if you are a significantly wealthy business owner, you rely more on the multitude of roads all around the entire nation Mm -hmm. so that people can get to your business. Just like when you are rich, when you, when you are, when you are in that same position, when you are a business owner that owns a bunch of businesses all over the country, a CEO or whatever, you rely on your customers having money. Mm -hmm. And in order for them to have money throughout their entire, every stage of their life, even after they retire, social security needs to be funded, Mm -hmm. which means that it's not, just benefiting them it is benefiting you and now it's time for our favorite segment asshat of the week so nathan who is our asshat this week michael our asshat this week is one of my least favorite people to talk about Uh like there there there's like there are some people like marjorie taylor Screw space lasers green. That's kind of fun to talk about because, like, sure. sometimes the shit she says is like, "Yeah, it's terrible," but it's also just kind of funny, <laughs> and you could just point and laugh at this mm-hmm. at this buffoon. Mm-hmm. But this person is somebody who 
is able to say things without sounding like a buffoon, mm. but still being a fucking evil son of a bitch. Oh, fuck. That's the worst combination. Fox News anchor Jesse Waters. Oh. Jesse Waters, come on down. Awesome. Wow. It's good to have Jay him Waddy. back on the show. Good to have him back. So what did Jesse yeah. Waters do this time to get on our show? Honestly, it's kind of the same thing he did last time he was on the show. <laughs> oh. Like, the last time he was on this show, it was because he said something really shitty about homeless people that just made me go like, wow, I didn't realize that somebody could be that fucking heinous mm. about homeless people. Mm-hmm. That just is the worst thing thought. I've ever heard. <laughs> And just when I thought that was the worst thing that I could have heard a person say about homeless people, he one-upped himself. (laughs) He went on this whole rant about uh, Gavin Newsom, who is the governor of of California, Mm -hmm. and uh, some of some of the shit that he's saying about, you know, trying to destigmatize homelessness and trying to fight against the homelessness problem. And Jesse Waters punched down in the most colossal way possible in a way that like I didn't think could come out of the mouth of an actual person who was not on SNL. <laughs> like the shit that he says, I like, I was like, SNL can't parody that. That is the parody. That is the parody of the cartoonishly evil son of a bitch, elitist asshole on yeah. Fox news he's, talking about homeless people. He's literally like fucking like snidely whiplash from like Dudley do right. <laughs> yeah. So here's what he said. Quote, homelessness is not about lack of affordable housing, which, okay, pause. What? What? (laughs) Not being able to afford a house is not about a lack of affordable housing. What? (laughs) He continues. It's about drug addicts that want to wander around and live in tents on the sidewalk. Mm. And so you don't coddle antisocial behavior. You can't subsidize antisocial behavior. You have to stigmatize it. You can't celebrate people with purple hair and nose rings, four kids with four different men who are dressed like trash and make them out to be some sort of cutting-edge heroes. You have to call them what they are. These are people that have failed in life and they're on their deathbed and if we're not honest about it, we're never going to fix the problem. How do we even start with that? Fucking quote, Jesus <laughs> fucking Christ! He's, he's literally like, it's like, like he's borderline making a genocidal smoothie of like horrible things. Like, let me put it a little bit of fresh, uh, little uh, sexism and a, a dash of of uh, a little racism in there. Yeah. Ooh, and let me punch down and try to get at those addicts because you know what? You know the thing about addicts, Nathan, is they love being addicts. That's yeah. the thing. Addiction famously. is yeah, famously. they famously just prefer addiction. Yeah. Fuck oh, Jesus Christ. Also, you know, people love tents. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. don't want homes. They want tents. What the fuck? Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. Like, you know that a lot of addiction comes from the overprescription of narcotics mm-hmm. by doctors mm-hmm. that were basically sold these narcotics uh, uh, rhetorically by large pharmaceutical companies and... That, that underplayed the potentially addictive aspects of it. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're listening, look look up the Sackler family. Oh, man. All right? Dude. They single-handedly created an opioid epi- epidemic. Mm-hmm. All right? Yep. And what happens is basically you, you, get sur- you get a surgery, you're over-prescribed narcotics, 
You know, it used to be Oxycontin. Now it's Oxycodone. Like you're overprescribed narcotics. You take them, you get addicted to them. You lose the prescription after you've, uh, you know, after you've finished, like, you know, you've, you've recovered from your surgery, but you're still addicted. Mm -hmm. So you know what you do? You turn to street drugs. Yeah. All right. That is not an individual or moral failing. Mm -hmm. That is being the victim of a truly evil yeah. and heinous corporation. And like, All right? let's be clear also, the thing about fucking opioid addiction is that it is not a weakness of the will problem. This is it, a physical exactly. addiction. This is not someone like, oh, I exactly. just love, you know, I just love coffee in the morning. This addiction, is like fucking physical addiction. Addiction means that the drugs that you are taking are taking over a function of your body that, that like that have gotten to the point where you cannot function in that specific way without that mm-hmm. narc- without that drug. Exactly. That's what addiction is. That is the yeah. definition of addiction. Yep. Some people like, you know, use compulsion and addiction interchangeably. They're not the same thing. Yep. Addiction is when there is a physical alteration to your body in which the drug is taking over a process that your body was was uh, previously doing. Yep. All right? It is a it is a health issue. And and on top of that, if a person does turn to drugs as a matter of choice, most of the time it's to cope with shit. Mm-hmm. Sure. Like potentially being fucking homeless. Yeah. Seriously. Because being fucking homeless is not something that you just dis- like wake up one day and decide, yeah. you know what? I want to live in a tent and shit in a bucket. <laughs> like, no, that is not what they're doing. Which you can do if you want. Like, that's the other thing is like, you could also just do that if you want, but like that's not the problem that these people are diagnosing or solving. Like when when fucking Jesse Waters goes after homeless people, he's not he doesn't actually care about homelessness. He cares about quote antisocial behavior, which is his like attempt at trying to mask a list of things that he doesn't like as social harms. Fucking purple yeah. hair, fucking Who like gives a people fuck that have kids color. with multiple partners dressing like trash what the fuck homelessness is about homes and and addiction and all this stuff and you know what you know what the proof of is of of that in california there there uh is a city making a lot of progress on homelessness and doing it in a really thoughtful way and you know what they're doing it's actually informed by studies there are multiple studies that support this um and we and we've done like deep dives on homelessness as well in the past you know what they're doing? Giving people fucking homes. Yeah. Interestingly enough, the implication that Jesse Waters is trying to make is that homelessness is a choice. And in a roundabout way, he is correct. Homelessness is a choice. It's a societal choice. Mm-hmm. It's a societal choice that we could solve yep. if we had the political will to do it. Mm-hmm. But of course, Jesse Waters doesn't want that. He wants to be a smug, elitist asshole Wearing an expensive suit that probably costs more than I make in a year as he smugly looks at the camera to say that the big problems that you should be worried about are not the wealthy employers that are fucking you over, that are lobbying the government to keep your wages low to prevent you from getting universal health care. It's not the people that are trying to rig the political system in favor of them having lower taxes and you having higher taxes, it's big homeless. <laughs> That's the problem. Big homeless. So fuck you, Jesse Waters, for being this week's Ass Hat of, of the, the week. week. 
And now we'll end our show as we usually do with our highlights. So Nathan, what's your highlight this week? My highlight this week is that um, I've started riding a bike. Nice. And nice, I've nice. actually found a fairly decent, like a fairly decent trail to get back to, uh, to, to get to a park that's, that's close to me that has a really, really nice biking trail. Well, nice enough. Um, and you know, I took a ride today and, uh, it was the second time I've ridden this week. And you know, the first time I rode for like 30 minutes before I came home completely exhausted. This time it was like an hour before I came home completely exhausted. Amazing, dude. I'm building up. We are building coming up. for you. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be in the cyclist community. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so I probably I probably rode like one or two miles today, which, you know, I'm sure you as somebody who did an entire trip in that lasted several days in which you were riding 50 miles a day are very impressed with me. <laughs> Dude, if you <laughs> rode for an hour, you almost definitely did at least like 10 miles. Really? Yes. I don't think it, it was 10 it miles. It would be physically hard to ride for an hour and only go two miles. <laughs> It'd be hard to stay on the bike. That's like walking pace. Well, to be fair, like there were some part, like there are a lot of hills around here sure, that I had sure, to sure, very sure. slowly push my way up. I bet you did at least six or seven miles. Really? Yes, oh. I bet you did. And you can get oh. an app on your phone that'll track it if you want. You know, I might actually do that. Yeah, it'd be fun. Actually it'd be gratifying. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Yeah. What about you, Mike? What's your What's your highlight? So I am really looking forward to this weekend. Uh, we got Juneteenth off, of course, because it's a federal holiday. Um, so it's a three day weekend for me and, um, and we just got paddle boards, which means that we can actually get out onto the water in Seattle now, which we're really excited to do. Yeah. Nice. So, so now we'll thank the incredible people that make this show possible. So first off our amazing patrons, Jerry DeViller, Kyle Chaska, Fade Out Scoop, Taylor Bloom, and Tobias Janssen. Thank you for all you do to make this show possible. And thank you to our incredible editor, Kayla, for all they do to bring this show on the air. If you want to listen to more of the Perspectrum or, or see us live, you can take a look at our YouTube channel. Uh, just search the Perspectrum on YouTube. And if you want to make a contribution to help the show go, uh, go to patreon.com slash the Perspectrum. And thank you, dear listener, for all you do to make this show possible. And you'll hear from us again next week. <laughs>